Good morning and welcome to Calvary Chapel. You know, I've noticed that one of the things that we are most uncomfortable with in this world, and especially within the church, is change. Change is oftentimes difficult for us to manage. It's not something we're comfortable with. And it causes something you may or may not be familiar with. I'm guessing you are stress. How you manage change in your life is pretty much equivalent to how you manage stress in your life because change brings stress. Even good change can bring stress. They say that the moments in your life that, that, that cause a great deal of stress are getting married, buying a home, and having children. What's interesting is if you ask somebody, what are the three things you like to do in your life as you get older? They'll probably tell you. Get married, buy a house, and have children. So what does that tell us? Change is life. Life is filled with change. And yet so many times, the wonderful changes, the good changes, the positive changes cause stress. So just imagine what the negative things and the things we didn't anticipate bring into our lives when we don't anticipate them. One of the things I'm going to suggest to you before we get into the Word today is just accept change. Accept change. You have to accept that things are not going to stay the same. And as we do that, we recognize as it applies to ministry, ministry never stays the same either. So many times we get to a place where we think, oh, this is perfect. We have the perfect worship team. We have the perfect uh, Sunday school team. We, we have the perfect ushers and everything's great. And then someone says, you know, guys, I'm moving. And how many times over the last, even just the last year or two, have we brought families up and couples up and even just last week prayed over a family as they're moving to a new place? That's change. And none of us like it. And in ministry, we oftentimes think of it as negative. This morning, we're going to learn that change, even that change which appears negative in God's economy, is always positive. Because God works all things, even change, for good. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we submit to you our lives, our hearts. We ask now that as we study this portion of Scripture You would show us, Lord, show us that we can trust you. And then when things just go sideways and things happen that we didn't anticipate, may we take a step back and submit to you and trust that all things truly are working for good in our lives and for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, we're not going to handle a lot of Scripture, just a short portion, but it's so impactful when we consider that God so oftentimes changes the situation around us. Let's read in Acts chapter 15, where we left off last week, in verse 36. Acts 15, verse 36. I want to remind you, as you're turning there, that Paul and Barnabas had traveled to Cyprus and Asia Minor on their first missionary journey. This is about 45 to 48 AD. We covered it in chapters 13 and 14. 
They then returned to their home church at Antioch, where they stayed with the disciples there for about two years. And then they had recently returned to Jerusalem, where they had defended God's grace to the Gentiles, which we studied last week. And so now we read in verse 36 that sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. This seems to be a very bad thing. I mean, Barnabas and Paul had been ministering in, as we said, Cyprus, Asia Minor, the area around Jerusalem, Judea. Barnabas is around uh, the, the church now for quite some time. Paul uh, more recently had been converted, but they have been ministering in earnest within the church for some time now. Nearly 20 years. They were working together as a part of a leadership team at the first Gentile church in Syria in the city of Antioch. God had used them mightily. Miracles! Preaching, people getting saved. They, they had been persecuted together. They had traveled together. They'd spent years in missionary journeys together. I mean, Barnabas and Paul were like peanut butter and jelly. You just couldn't separate the two. So, so what is it that all of a sudden, it, it just all goes sideways? Talk about change. Some people, when they see something like this, they figure, well, the devil. You know, the devil likes to split people up. And he does. Don't get me wrong. The devil does like to divide us. But I've seen it so often that when we think the devil's the one doing the dividing, it's actually God moving us on. One of the more dramatic and traumatic changes of my life, and my wife and I went through this, it was difficult. We left the church that we had been at since the time we met. We met at this church in New York City at Harvest Christian Fellowship. Uh, We were there. Uh, We met back in 1987, and we were there until about 2004. So 17, 18 years of our lives, I had gotten saved in this church. I had gotten married in this church. I was baptized in this church, ordained in this church, did ministry in this church for, for almost two decades. And then the Lord made it clear it was time to leave and plant another church. Now, I hadn't planted the church in New York, but it was time for us to to move on. And some of the brothers who were here were a part of that. Not many, because many of those who started with us have since moved on. But as we we look at what God has done here, and as I was worshiping in the back of the church, I said, yeah, it would have been something if I I didn't submit to that change. You know, well, God would have used someone else. But... All these types of changes, they're difficult. Not everyone understands. People, people misread or misinterpret it. Some people are supportive. Some people are very supportive. Some people are not supportive at all. At all. It, it is a very challenging thing when, when leadership teams change, when people move on, when, when someone leaves to go plant a church or work at another church. 
There are pastors that have come out of this church pastoring in other places and in other churches and some even in this area. And we have to accept that God is the one. It's his church. Can I hear an amen? The Holy Spirit is the one that directs the church and our church is a part of the church. And so therefore we have to submit to it. And it is sad, and, and we don't like it when we have to call people we love. And, you know, Herman and Sarah, well, Herman had been here for 16, 17 years, Sarah more recently as they got married. And here we are at the end of service last week praying for them as they moved to North Carolina. I think of many families, and I'm not going to mention all of them, who have left because God has called them elsewhere. And that's great. And that's why we bring them up and pray for them, because we know that if it is God's will, we need to pray. And if it's not God's will, we need to pray as well. So just pray and see what God is doing in their lives and support them in them finding that out. But no, we never like to see anyone leave. So here's what happens, okay? It starts when Paul and Barnabas, who had been together so long, when, when they decided, you know, we want to return to the mission field. It's been a year or two. We want to return to Cyprus and we want to return to Asia Minor or modern day Turkey. We want to go visit all the brothers. We miss them in all the towns where we preach the gospel. You know, they, they wanted to return to see how these individuals were doing. And I understand that because as I've had the opportunity to go to Cuba, go back to Cuba, to go back to Cuba again, to go to Guatemala, El Salvador, go back and go back again. You see the people, you see the same people, and you ask how they're doing. And at one point, uh, when things were different in our world, and Pastor Joe can tell you this, Pastor Joe and his wife Andrea can tell you, we were going twice a year. We're seeing these people on a regular basis. I recently received an email from Guadalupe, who many of you know, who is our partner on the ground and works with Compasión and Acción, also works with Straight Path. Wonderful person. And it was so good to hear from her. But I realized it's been years now since I've seen her. And there is that yearning in our hearts. I want to get back out there and see how everyone's doing. But God has to open that door. So they wanted to return. Now, where they were planning on going... <clears throat> We talked about this during Paul's and Barnabas's first missionary journey. It's the province of Galatia, primarily the province of Galatia. And it's a central region of, region of Asia Minor or, or modern-day Turkey. Now, southern Galatia, which is where they spent a lot of time, included the cities of Iconium, Lystra, Derbe, Pisidian, Antioch, and that's where they want to go. Remember that Paul and Barnabas, as missionaries, as apostles, had actually founded these churches. In fact, Paul had already written, I believe he wrote the letter to the Galatians, the epistle to the Galatians early. I believe that's Paul's earliest epistle. Some disagree, but he wrote his epistle to the Galatians. But we know he wrote it after hearing about the seduction of the Christian church to Jewish legalism. Now, Paul had just dealt with that. Barnabas and Paul had gone down to Jerusalem in chapter 15, in the earlier part of this chapter, to address that issue with Peter and James and the rest of the elders. And they had issued a letter, and now they have this letter, this declaration, this guidance from James and the council, and they want to deliver it to these places that had been seduced to legalism. Since Paul and Barnabas left, these Judaizers had crept in, and they were trying to sort of marry Judaism to Christianity, turn Christians, Gentile Christians, into Jews. It was a bad thing, and we talked about it last week. 
But we do know that he wanted to deliver these decisions, Paul did, reached by the apostles and elders because his heart was for the people. Now, Barnabas agreed with Paul. He wanted to go too, but he wanted to take John Mark with them again. Now, I understand why, and you'll notice in ministry, there are some people that that just are done with other people. Like, they've worked with them. It's like, no, this is the last time I'm working with this person. They just crossed me. They disappointed me. When we needed them most, they didn't show up. He's always late. She's never there. And sometimes one of our leaders, including myself, will get to a place where we'll be like, no, don't put them on the schedule anymore. And then God will raise up another leader who will say, well, you know, I, I, maybe they need a second chance. And I'm like, 15th chance, you mean? Yeah, and, and you know what? It's great. I realized a long time ago, and I used to say this sometimes in leadership meetings, you know, everyone needs a champion. Everyone needs somebody that's in their corner. And I love that because you know what? God may not give you or me, he may not give us the grace with a particular individual, but he'll give someone that grace for that individual because God has grace for his people. Amen? So Barnabas agreed. He wanted to take John Mark. Now, John Mark, as he mentions here, as Luke mentions in the book of Acts, had left them in Perga and Pamphylia to return home uh, to his home in Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas had taken him to Antioch after their first mission in Jerusalem. He came home with them, very young man at this time. Uh, He had traveled with Paul and Barnabas to Cyprus to assist them in the ministry. He was on the team for the first missionary journey. But he later deserted them in Pamphylia and didn't continue in the work. But here's what you do need to know. Barnabas and John Mark were close relatives. They were family. Which explains... Barnabas' desire to take him with them. You, you tend to show a little bit of preference for people who are family members. Maybe not, but generally you do. And, and oftentimes, people you're very close to, you give them a little bit more grace than you might someone you don't know very well. That's very natural and human. It is really human. Not always correct, not always right, but oftentimes God will work through that to give that person that needs a second or third or 15th chance the chance they need to grow. That seems to me to be what happened here. Barnabas, whose name means the son of encouragement. So we know he was an encouraging guy. He clearly wanted to give John a chance to prove himself, and he was probably right to do so. But Paul did not think it was wise to take John Mark with them again. And I understand why, because... We believe Paul may have contracted malaria while he was in the coastal regions of Perga. He indicates this in 2 Corinthians. He definitely became ill, but given uh, that part of the world, given the history of that part of the world and the symptoms of his condition, it seems that in 2 Corinthians 12, he contacted some type of mosquito-borne illness, probably malaria, and wasn't doing so well. I've never had malaria, but I understand, well, first of all, it can kill you. But second of all, it is definitely a very serious condition. Should I mention that you could take hydrochloroquine for it? No, probably not. I couldn't resist. So so this may explain why they didn't minister there and why John Mark deserted them. Maybe he was looking around and, you know, he's a little like me. He's like, ooh, I don't want to get sick. I mean, you know, some of you guys are a little bit more sensitive. Maybe you need to be because of your health conditions. But it's like, you know, the physical reaction you get from someone when you go, 
oh, a little scratchy throat. And someone looks at you like you have the plague, right? By the way, if you hear a little nasal sound in my, my nose right now, I have seasonal allergies. Seasonal allergies. It happens every year, the same exact symptoms. It is not a cold. It is not, I repeat, not a cold. And I'm feeling much better. But I have to tell you something. Nowadays, if you sneeze, let's just say you had a little bit too much hot sauce. and Because that's what happens to me when I have like hot sauce or pepper, I sneeze. People look at you like, oh my goodness, he's going to kill everyone in the room. It's gotten pretty crazy. But you can physically see the response in someone's actions, their body language, when they're a little germophobic, right? And especially today, right? So here's the thing. I imagine John Mark saw Paul. He thinks, well, if God allowed him to get malaria, I'll probably die. So, you know, he deserts them. Whether that was the exact reason or not, maybe he was just homesick. Maybe he was just tired. Maybe he just wanted to go home. And they happened to be in a city where he could get on a ship and sail home and be home within a few days. I don't know. But he did desert them. And so Paul, given his condition, traveled north into Galatia because the symptoms of his illness were so severe. He talks about that in Galatians 4. So Paul was clearly concerned that John Mark would desert them again when they needed him most. So he wasn't about to give this guy another chance. Barnabas felt differently. And they disagreed so much about this that they parted company. And Barnabas took John Mark, which was a good thing. And Paul took Silas, which was a good thing. Now, the sad truth is that these were men who were very, very good friends who just disagreed on one issue. Just one issue. And yet it divided them. And because it divided them, God now was able to use two separate missionary teams. But I imagine at the moment it didn't feel like that. At the moment, it probably felt pretty negative. There might have been some people that suggested, oh, spiritual attack. You see what happened? The devil split up Paul and Barnabas. I mean, the sky is falling. All is not well. The church, oh my goodness, what attacks we're experiencing. Or maybe some wise people said, well, you know, kind of having Paul and Barnabas together is redundant. They're both really powerful ministers of the gospel. And they probably should have split up a long time ago, but they just liked each other so much and enjoyed each other's company and they needed each other. But now there's other people that can get involved and maybe it's best for Barnabas to go to Cyprus. By the way, Barnabas is from Cyprus. Okay, this is where he grew up. This is his home country. And for Paul to go to the areas of Cilicia and Galatia, the areas of Asia Minor, which, by the way, was where Paul was from. He was from Tarsus in Cilicia. And you can see the wisdom of the Holy Spirit with hindsight, but again, at the moment, these things oftentimes change, oftentimes appears to be stressful and negative. And maybe, it says they had a sharp dispute. Maybe there were words. Maybe it really got hot. But in the end, who's in control? God is in control. And I think it's important to remember that. Now, just a little bit of a recap about these guys. To set the stage, because some of you uh, have not been here uh, for all of the studies through the book of Acts. Going back to chapter, actually chapter 4, I believe, uh, even chapter 9, 11, you saw a lot of ministry happening with these men. They had been close friends, and they had been ministry partners for 10 years. 10 years is a long time. 
Guys, you younger couples who haven't been married 10 years or you're just married 10 years, that's a long time, right? Don't say Husbands, don't say it. No, it feels like it was just yesterday that we got married. That's the right answer. Well, Barnabas had introduced Paul to the apostles and testified to the truth of his conversion. Paul was indebted to Barnabas, for sure. And Barnabas had actually gone out seeking Saul when he was in Tarsus and had been sent home from Jerusalem. He went out and found him, it says. He brought him to Antioch, where together they ministered to the Gentile church. They actually worked together in delivering gifts from the church in Antioch uh, to the church elders in Jerusalem when they needed help, when there was a famine. And they had been called by the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ among the Gentiles. There weren't that many ministers who were doing that. Uh, They had preached the gospel, as we've said, in Cyprus, in Asia Minor, on the first missionary journey. As we've said, they returned to Antioch. They spent two years since uh, their first missionary journey, ministering in the same church, As I've said, they traveled to Jerusalem, they defended the gospel of grace, and they returned to Antioch after the council in Jerusalem to deliver this letter that I mentioned to the apostles and to the elders, or from the apostles and elders to the Gentiles. So, this this must have been something. Barnabas insisted they could rely on John Mark, but Paul, he insisted they could not. So let me ask you a question, who's right? You know what I'm learning The answer to questions, the binary questions, you know, oftentimes are yes. That sounds a little weird, right? So basically, was was Barnabas right that you could rely on John Mark? Was Paul right that you could not? Yes. Sometimes it's not yes and no. Sometimes it's just yes. Because depending on the perspective that you have, God is working in all things. And, and, and listen, it's true. The guy definitely deserted them. And there was a good chance he might do it again. And Barnabas is right that the guy deserved a second chance. Now, I want you to think this through with me. Barnabas and Paul had taken John Mark to Cyprus. Seems like he had a pretty good experience in Cyprus. They get to Asia Minor, and John Mark takes off. I have a sneaky suspicion that he was just fine with Barnabas in Cyprus. We don't know. We don't don't really learn that because Luke doesn't document that for us. But it seems to me that that was the place for John Mark and not Asia Minor. And yet, as we'll see as we go through this, John Mark grew in his faith and in his ministry. But before we get to that, let's just stop a moment and realize, you see the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes he'll call someone to something else even within the same ministry. Uh, we've had people that have worked in men's ministry or women's ministry or other ministries in the church and for a time, and then they move on to maybe Sunday school ministry or set-up ministry, and, you know, it may be better suited to their giftings. They may be better suited for that ministry. And if you say, well, you know, when they were in Sunday school, they could never get there on time. When they were on set-up ministry, they were always late. And you think, we can't rely on them. And then someone comes along with wisdom and encouragement and says, you know, they're faithful. They just have a little hard time getting here early. So why don't we put them on cleanup ministry? Oh, yeah. You don't have to be here early for cleanup. You just need to stay a little later. That's perfect. 
Now, that's just one example of what I've seen over the years, how people can be given a second chance and just redirected to something that suits them better. You have to be open to these kind of things. So guess what? The answer is yes to both questions. It's true. They could rely on John Mark, and it's also true they could not. Because he was suited to minister in Cyprus with his cousin, with his close relative, Barnabas. Now, Barnabas took John Mark, sailed for Cyprus to visit the churches there, which they needed to do. Two birds, one, you know, one stone, or maybe in this particular case, you've got two groups breaking off and, and being used by God to reach two groups. It works very well. Barnabas and Paul had preached the gospel throughout the whole island just two years earlier. Think about that. I love the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. It's so much better than the wisdom of man. And again, change. Change. Well, Paul, he chose Silas and traveled through Syria and Cilicia. And he visited the church in Turkey or Asia Minor. Now, let's talk about Silas for a little bit. He was, we were introduced to him at the end of last week's study. Silas had been a leader in the church in Jerusalem. Apostles and elders had chosen him to deliver their decisions in a letter to the Gentiles. So he was a very trusted servant in the early church, but from the Jewish church. Now, that's interesting because Paul was never really a part of the Jewish church. He wanted to be, but, you know, no one wanted him there. So he was a part of the Gentile church because of Barnabas. But Silas was a prophet, actually, from the Jewish church. Now, wait a minute. Let's just stop a moment. And Barnabas, by the way, was a Levite from Cyprus. So he, he was also, he was a part of both of those churches. But at a time when it was crucial and they're delivering letters to the Gentiles, telling them that the church in Jerusalem accepts them as Gentiles and they don't need to become Jews in order to become Christians, the Lord figures out that maybe, just maybe, the Spirit senses that it's better to send someone like Paul, the champion of grace, and a man like Silas, who ministered in the Jewish church and was sent by those elders and apostles with a letter that said such as that, that you don't, as a Gentile, have to become a Jew to become a Christian. I could see how they would be better suited to minister in Galatia. So this is just me picking it apart. I used to be a project manager. And as soon as the project was over, within a week, we had what we call the post-mortem. The idea was we broke it apart and we said, what went right, what went wrong? And we learned from it. As I do a post-mortem on this decision, I realize it's brilliant. But again, at the moment, it probably seemed devastating. I want you to take that thought. I want you to take that application and apply it to a change that you are going through right now in your life. That you feel is devastating. It could be the death of a loved one. It could be a child going away to school. It, it could be some change that's just devastating you emotionally. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you have to leave your job because of an overreach by our government. Maybe you are experiencing change right now in your life that is stressful. I'm going to tell you something it shouldn't be. If you trust God, if you believe that he's working all things together for good, you can say God is working on my behalf. If I submit to this change, I'll experience God's blessings. And here's the best part. You won't be stressed. You won't be stressed. 
Because stress comes when we don't trust God during times of great change. That's when stress comes. If you have stress in your life, if it's affecting you physically or emotionally or in some other way, I can tell you right now, you're not managing it well. There are many ways to manage stress, but there's no way to avoid it. So what are you going to do? The answer is trust God. Trust God. That's the application this morning. If you don't hear anything else that I say today, just hear that. Trust God. Change is challenging. It's stressful. But God is in control. Amen? Okay. Now, the apostles and the elders had chosen Silas, and now Paul looks at this and says, I'm going to choose Silas. He's a leader. They apparently hit it off. Remember, this letter is supposed to be delivered to the Gentile believers in Antioch, which it had been delivered in Antioch, and Syria and Cilicia. So as they go to these places, that's their mission at the moment. Silas had exercised the gift of prophecy, the spiritual gift of prophecy. So he was called the prophet, and he also encouraged the people as well. We learned that last week. And Silas apparently had chosen to stay in Antioch after he had delivered the letter to them. He, he was pretty excited about what God was doing, apparently, in the Gentile church. And so Paul sees this perfect traveling companion. And so Paul and Silas uh, were commended to the grace of God by the brothers in the church at Antioch. They recognized that their calling was to preach the gospel of grace to the Gentiles. The church supported them. I believe the church supported Barnabas and Mark as well. It's not as if they picked sides. But here we're told, because Luke is recording this missionary journey, the second missionary journey of Paul and Silas, we're told that the church commended them to the grace of God supported them. They would have prayed for Paul and Silas, sent them on their missionary journey, and they would have provided financially for their expenses before sending them off. All is good. And you know what's so sad? The damage we do to ourselves when we don't accept change. You know what's really sad? The stress we allow in our lives simply because we don't trust God through times of great change. The saddest thing of all is to realize we do it to ourselves. We literally do this to ourselves. So many times I'll hear people say, Oh, I just got so much stress. Nah, you got stress. Everybody's got stress. No, Pastor, you don't understand. There's so much stress in my life. Yeah, I do understand. And talking about it ain't going to change it. Now, I'm not being unsympathetic. But at some point, you have to surrender it to God. Why not do that up front? Oh, no, you could wait two years till you give yourself a heart condition, a stomach condition, till you finally realize that you can't do anything about it anyway and you need to trust God. And then in some service, you crawl up here on your knees and you say, God, I surrender it all. You could do that. Or up front, you could say, you know what? God's got this. You know, I've known people like that. I'm becoming a person like that, to be honest. I'm becoming a person like that. I'm becoming more like that. But i got a ways to go. But I've known people in my life that the wall could be falling down and their reaction would be, well, we did want a window there. <laughs> I love that level of optimism and, and trust, but I don't always have it. I was stressing out today because there was some person driving in front of me. I, what is it on a Sunday morning? 
Listen, I, I appreciate that some people need to have those little handicap things on their, you know, rearview mirror. It tells, them, tells you that apparently they're handicapped, but I'm now guessing it really doesn't mean that. It means they can't drive. I don't know what it is. I see these. I'm like, come on, man. And I get all stressed out. And, I, and I'm like, okay, okay. I just, and I try to, you know, find my place of serenity and not. But every day it's a challenge to just trust that God is in control. Amen? Or am I the only one? Hey, listen, I'm becoming more like this. I'm not there yet, but I've known people that just are inspirational in their ability to submit to what's going on in their lives. So that's what we, that's what we have to strive for. That's what we want to do. We want to submit and surrender to God's will so that we don't stress ourselves out. And then when you realize nobody's stressing you out, you're stressing you out by not trusting God. Because if you submitted to God's will, there is no stress. It's peace. Can I hear an amen? The peace that passes all understanding. See, we like the peace that we understand. We do. Oh, I understand. Therefore, I have peace. Why aren't you filled with peace? Well, I don't understand. But the Bible talks about a peace that transcends understanding, that that passes all understanding, that guards your heart and your mind so you don't go crazy or have a heart attack. How's that going to happen? You've got to trust God. I have to trust God. We have to trust God. So, all of this is God's doing. And they recognize that at some point, but not maybe at the moment. But perhaps they did. Maybe some did. It seems like they at least recognized that what Paul and Silas were about to do was a good thing, and what Barnabas and Mark were doing was a good thing. So they're very supportive. And what did they do? We find out in verse 41, we read it already, that Paul and Silas, they went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Strengthening the churches. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. They strengthened the churches in Syria and Cilicia on their way to Galatia. So they haven't even gotten to the real mission field yet, and they're stopping in places where Paul had lived and grew up and ministering to the churches there. He was very familiar with that region, so they stopped, spent some time there, and then they head out on the mission field. Now, Tarsus, where Saul was from and who became Paul, Tarsus was a major commercial city in Cilicia, about 100 miles northwest of Antioch. So they've traveled 100 miles, and they're not really even on the mission field yet. They're not out there in Galatia. And Paul had spent several years in Tarsus until Barnabas reconnected with him. Paul tells us that in Galatians chapter 1. And they delivered to the churches the decisions that were reached by the apostles and elders. I know that because in the next chapter in verse 4 it tells me that. So this is good. But as we close, I, I just want you to think this through with me. Barnabas and Paul's decision to part company resulted in two missionary teams instead of just one. How is that a bad thing? Well, actually, it's a great thing. This allowed them to travel to two distinctly different areas. Cyprus and Asia Minor. This provided both Paul and Barnabas with opportunities for individual growth as leaders. This gave them the opportunity to invest in and partner with others like John Mark and Silas, who now took a more prominent role in the missions outreach. I want to give you a little glimpse of where this thing ended up, because I think that will help you to understand how this was a really good thing. John Mark later resolved his differences with Paul after traveling with Barnabas. The scriptures make that clear. In fact, he was commended by Paul to the Colossians to minister 
in Asia in Colossians chapter 4. The very place he didn't do so well in in the past. It seems that he spent time with Peter as well before he returned to Rome. And at the end of Paul's life, he pays John Mark the highest possible compliment in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. And it's so good to see that we allow people to grow, you know, and then acknowledge their growth. I mean, grudges, by the way, have no place in the church. Can I say that? Grudges have no place in the church. Please, can you say that with me? Grudges have no place in the church. I think sometimes we forget that. We all do. Shouldn't, but we do. In 2 Timothy, in chapter 4 and verse 11, he says, Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. That's at the end of Paul's life. Maybe God worked a little in the life of John Mark. You could see how all of this is working for good. Of course, by the way, you know John Mark if you've ever read the Gospel of Mark, which he wrote. So isn't it a good thing? Isn't it a good thing? Say amen. Isn't it a good thing that you had a Barnabas who was willing to give John Mark a second chance? Otherwise, there'd be the three Gospels. No, it's a good thing that God worked in this way. Now, Silas, who's also called Silvanus, he became Paul's traveling partner and a fellow minister to the Gentiles. He ministered in Asia Minor and Philippi and in Corinth. And at one point, Paul left Corinth. And as far as we can tell, Silas stayed behind. And he's mentioned by Paul in three of his epistles, 2 Corinthians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians. He later returned to Asia Minor and continued to minister to the churches there. He must have communicated to Peter the condition of these churches because in 1 Peter chapter 5, we learn that Silvanus or Silas is part of the reason that Peter wrote his first epistle. In fact, Peter wrote his first epistle to the churches of Asia Minor clearly with the help of a man named Silas. Silas was well-versed in Greek, and the Greek in that letter is among the best Greek in the New Testament. So the man was used mightily by God. Actually, all of them were used mightily by God. He ultimately returned to Asia Minor with Peter's letter to encourage the churches. So tell me how this is a bad thing. Make me see what was so negative about all of this change. It seems that Paul and Barnabas ultimately resolved their differences as well, just in case you're wondering. I always wondered that. Did those guys ever, you know, resolve their issues? Of course they did. People think, well, you know, maybe they never talked again. Come on. There's no room for grudges in the church. Amen? They had a disagreement. You ever have a disagreement? Married people, you ever have a disagreement? No, never, right? Never happened, right, John? Steph, what do you think? Don't answer that question. You want to have a nice Sunday, right? All right, so here's what happens. He's talking about things. This is, year, you know, years later, and he's, he's talking about things to the Corinthian church, and he writes to them. He says, he mentions, or is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? He mentions Barnabas in his writings after all this happened. So why is he talking about Barnabas? Because they, they made up. Of course they did. Why wouldn't they? There's no room for grudges in the church. You know, we know that sometimes when we disagree, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, 
It seems to be the end of the world. It seems that we'll never see eye to eye again. We could never work together again with that person. And maybe you won't. But just don't say that it's a bad thing. Recognize that all change, whether it's change in ministry, change at a church, change at your job, change in your life, change in your family, has the potential to really stress you out. Or has the potential to prove your faith in God. You and I, we, we get to decide. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, as we trust you with all things, we recognize that you truly are in control. And as we not only say it, but actually believe it, it changes the way we see everything happening in our lives and around our lives. And so now, Lord, we look to you. We know that these men went out to areas that were not reached with the gospel. Some had been reached, some hadn't. And their life's mission was to go out and let the world know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Their mission was to go out and preach that gospel to a world that needed to hear it. And even disagreements and divisions didn't stop that from happening. If anything, this particular one increased that happening. So now, Lord, we know the gospel message. May we be bold and may we be courageous in preaching it despite the stress in our lives. The truth that Lord Jesus came and died on a cross for our sins. The truth that he rose again on the third day, that he ascended into heaven, and that he ever lives to make intercession on our behalf. The truth that he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. Amen. This truth of the gospel affects us because we must acknowledge that truth, recognize that Christ died on the cross for our sins and rose again to give us newness of life. And as we repent of those sins and confess our sins and call upon the name of the Lord, we're saved from eternal death, from judgment. That's the message that these men brought. In addition to the message from the council, which said that there's nothing you can do or need to do or have to do in order to make God love you. He loves you. They were bringing the gospel of truth and love, and it was transforming their world. And may we do likewise. May we preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that others may hear that God loves them, died for them, and is coming again, and they need only cry out and call upon the name of the Lord and be saved as they repent of their sins, confess their sins, and receive God's love and forgiveness. They can know that they know that they know that they're loved and will spend all eternity with Him. May that be our message, and may no amount of stress hinder that from happening in and through our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.